One day after his resurrection, while Jesus was eating a meal with his disciples, he told them that they would soon be given power to take his message all over the world. They would be given the Holy Spirit of God, he said. After he said this, Jesus flew up into the sky right in front of them, and they did not see him again. So the disciples waited and prayed. Ten days later, they were gathered, and a sound like a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house. They looked around and saw what looked like tongues of fire dancing above each of them. They all began to speak in different languages, causing such a commotion that a crowd gathered to see what was going on. Someone accused them of being drunk, so Peter stood up to say something. He told them that they were not drunk, but that God had given them the power of his spirit. He recounted the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and told the people to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus. That day, 3,000 people believed what he said and became followers of Jesus. The followers of Jesus ate meals and prayed together almost every day. Amazing things continued to happen. People were being healed. Others were selling their possessions and giving their money to the poor. The number of people who joined them just kept growing and growing. The disciples, now called apostles, began teaching in the Jewish temples. This angered the religious leaders. Several times they beat up the apostles and threw them in jail. One religious leader in particular, named Saul, was determined to destroy this new movement of Jesus' followers. So he went from house to house in the region and arrested those claiming to follow Jesus. Then one day, while Saul was walking down the street, a bright light from the sky flashed. As he fell to the ground, he heard the voice of Jesus speaking to him. Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus commanded Saul to get up and go to the city of Damascus. Saul got up, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see. With some help, Saul traveled to Damascus, where he met a man named Ananias. Ananias placed his hands on Saul, and something sort of like scales fell from his eyes. Suddenly, he could see again. Ananias told him that Jesus had orchestrated all of this so Saul could receive the Holy Spirit. This experience completely changed Saul's life. He became a follower of Jesus. Soon, Saul would set out on an extraordinary journey to tell others about Jesus. visiting with us, we're in the midst of a 31-week series looking at the story, the story of God, God's story that we see in Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, we see the unity of God's story. We see the unity of God's plan. And so this morning, we are looking at the first part of the book of Acts. And each week, we have a summary of the Bible passages that we encourage you to read in the previous week. You see those every week in your bulletin. We give you readings for the next week so that when you come to gather with us, 
you have a sense of what it is that we're going to be talking about, and God is already working in your heart. He's already revealing things to you that we may not even address in the sermon, but God is speaking to you by His Spirit to teach you, to enlighten you, to open your eyes that you may grow as a disciple of Jesus. Dallas Willard is a name maybe that you've heard. He was a professor of philosophy at USC here in Los Angeles. But what he's remembered for is the impact that he has made upon the church of Jesus Christ. Over the last, over the, most of his life, he spoke into the church, talking about how it is that we are to live as disciples of Jesus. Not long before he died, he was interviewed. And the interviewer was asking him, what are some of the challenges that the church faces today? For the next two hours, Dallas spoke, and in a nutshell, what he said was this. There are very few churches that are producing true disciples. Now, what is a true disciple? Well, according to Dallas Willard and according to the Bible, it's someone who looks like Jesus, acts like Jesus, thinks like Jesus, lives like Jesus. That's what disciples do. They follow in the steps of the one that they are following. As disciples of Jesus, we are to follow in the steps of our Lord. We are to live and to think and to act like Jesus. Well, at the end of this interview, the interviewer looks at Dallas Willard and he asks this question. When you look how, at how off track the church is, do you ever just want to throw up your hands in despair? Great question, right? He just talked about how far the church in America and in the world today is from being what we are called to be. And he asked Dallas Willard, do you just throw up your hands in despair? And Dallas smiled and he said, never, never. And the interviewer said, well, how can that be? And here's what he said. He said, I know that Christ is the head of the church and he knows what he is doing. I love that. Dallas could see what the church wasn't, but at the same time, he knew that Christ is in charge. Christ is leading the church. He is head of the church. And he will use the church to accomplish his purposes. He's not given up on us. Friends, I want to suggest to you this morning that as we look at the book of Acts and we look at the New Testament, this we learn. The church is God's plan for the world. It is the church that God uses to reach the lost people in our world. It's the church that God uses to preach a message of restoration, of new life, of reconciliation with God with one another, within ourselves, with all of our human relationships. It's through the church that God wants to equip and train us to be followers of Jesus who make a forever difference in this world. The hope of the world is God working through broken, sinful people like you and me to change the world one life at a time. He's waiting for us, the church, to rise up and to be counted, 
to seek to be true disciples of Jesus. And that's what we see here this morning in the book of Acts. What we see is that the ministry of Jesus continues, but now through the church. We left last week and Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared before his disciples. We're going to see this morning that he ascends to heaven to be at the right hand of God the Father. And we might think, well, that's it. It's over. Jesus isn't here anymore. But what we're going to see is Jesus is going to do something incredible so that his ministry will continue. In every generation, in every nation, through the church of Jesus Christ, as it seeks to live in obedience to him. Friends, we have purpose. We have purpose as individuals. We have reason to live as the church of Jesus Christ. We are not here for ourselves. We are here to follow Jesus and fulfill his purpose for our church and our lives at such a time as this. I love that purpose. I love that vision. I love what God is doing and what he is going to do in the years ahead. So let's look at this this morning as we look at the story, the new beginnings. It begins as the ministry of Jesus continues today through you and me, through the church. What is the church? It's not a building. It's not a location. The church is people, disciples of Jesus, people who are following him, people who are sold out, fully surrendered to him, who want to think like he thinks, act like he acts, live like he lived. But through our unique personalities, through our unique talents, through our unique gifts, he wants to continue his purposes in the world through us. And we see it begins through the birth of the church by the coming of the Holy Spirit. Something was going to dramatically change. For 40 days, Jesus, after his resurrection, spent time with his disciples he was training them. He was preparing them. He was equipping them. He was helping them to understand what life was going to be like when he was gone. They didn't fully grasp it. They didn't fully understand it until it happened. Isn't that often the case? We don't fully understand something until we experience it, until we take a step and engage in whatever it is that God is calling us to be a part of. And this is what happens. Now, we read that he ascends to heaven. Now, here's what we see in verses 8 and 9 in Acts chapter 1. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Jesus was taken up into heaven. In that moment, his time physically here in that first coming was done. It was finished. It was over. But Jesus ascended into heaven and he made this promise. My power will come upon you when you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the disciples certainly were confused. They didn't fully grasp at this moment, but they should have. Jesus had already told them probably numerous times what was coming. We see this in this very passage here. 
from John 14, before, before Jesus would be arrested and crucified. He said, very truly. Now, whenever Jesus says very truly, or truly, truly, or your translation might say verily, verily, whenever you read those words, what Jesus is about to say is of utmost importance. We need to pay attention. We need to understand. Here's what he says. Very truly, I tell you, and here it is, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to be with the Father. Now, they didn't grasp all that that meant, but what he's saying is that you and me, the church in every generation, will do greater things than Jesus because he goes to be with the Father. Now, how could that be? Well, certainly, here's, here's what would happen. Jesus ascends into heaven. Not long afterward, he pours out his Holy Spirit upon the church, upon those who believe. He gives them power to be his witnesses in this world. And the ministry of Jesus now continues through them. Now, not just through Jesus, or as we saw throughout biblical history in the Old Testament, not through just one person for one little period of time. No, the Holy Spirit now comes into the lives of every Christian, young and old alike, to empower us for what purpose? Jesus said, so that we would be his witnesses in the world that we live in, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplace, beyond through our state, through our nation, through our world. And some of you, God will call to go into the world. And you are to be his witness everywhere you go. Now, how do you do that? You do it because the Holy Spirit is in you, every Christian, enabling you to live out the life that Jesus has called you to live out. He is empowering you to be his witness. He is giving you his words. He is giving you his direction. He is giving you his power to be a witness for Jesus. He doesn't do this so that the world looks at us and we become something really great in the world. He does it so that we will be faithful to live out the purpose and the design that God created us for. And that is to be his witness. To point people to Jesus. That is our call as individuals. That is our call as a church. Now I love the story. Didn't you love that when you saw the summary? The Spirit of God comes upon the disciples. Jesus probably had at max at any one point in time 300, 350 followers is all. This very first day, remember Peter? Peter who, who denied even knowing Jesus because he didn't want to be persecuted. He didn't want to be arrested. He didn't want to die. When Jesus uh, was being tried, he denied even knowing Jesus. Now here's this very same Peter standing in the courtyard and boldly telling people the good news of Jesus, bearing witness to Jesus as the Holy Spirit now has come upon him. And they're speaking the languages of many different people who were there in Jerusalem in that day. Now, how could they do that? Because the Holy Spirit empowered them to do that. Now, when we talk about being witnesses, what am I talking about? What is this power 
to enable us to be witnesses. Well, here, let me share with you just a couple of examples of what it looks like. We, it's the power, the power of the Holy Spirit in us to transform us, to change us, our character. It's what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. The, in Galatians 5, the fruit, the outcome of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christians who then surrender to the work of God through the Holy Spirit in our lives. So he says, here's what it looks like. Love. You become more loving. Joy. You express a greater sense of joyfulness because joy is now a part of who you are. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Self-control. This becomes the result of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that makes us a witness as people look at us and say, wow, what has gotten into you? You are so different. What has changed you? What has happened to you? It's the power of the Holy Spirit transforming my life. I am not the same person I was 30 years ago, 40 years ago. 50 years ago, when I came to Jesus, I'm not the same person because the Holy Spirit has been producing his fruit in my life, making me more like Jesus. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit enables us to live a consistent, faithful witness to who Christ is. It's the power of God through the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is different than intelligence. Intelligence would enable me to um, think in, 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 in really incredible ways, like I could explain um, what an atom is, or I could, I could be really smart and I could, oh gosh, I wish I could give you an example, but I'm just not that smart. <laughs> I'm struggling to give you an example, because I didn't plan on giving you an example. I'm not that smart. What's wisdom? Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do in every moment. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to say in a conversation. Wisdom is knowing where God is leading me in any given moment. That's the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the power that God gives as he gives us spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about this in the summer and in the fall. But God gives each and every Christian spiritual gifts. What's a spiritual gift? It's a gift or gifts that God gives to you that enables you by the power of God to build the church of Jesus Christ, to make disciples. And every Christian has a gift or gifts that God uses to build the church, to further the work of the kingdom of God. You don't have that power. I don't have that power. It's God coming upon us. It's the power to create dynamic human connections. It's the power of spiritual guidance. It's the power of comfort. It's the power of strength. It's the power of energy as we need it. Empowered, strengthened, comforted by the presence of the Holy Spirit to live out God's purposes 
that we would be his witnesses. Amen? That is God's call for us. He said it another way. He said, go therefore into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that I have said. It's being a witness for Jesus. We can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about that in John 15. He said, apart from me, if you don't remain in me, you cannot bear fruit. So we need to remain in Jesus as Jesus remained in his Father. He set us that example. We live as Jesus lived as his disciples. And we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life that will make a difference in the world. How? I don't know. But it will make a difference in the world. I believe that because that is God's design for us. So I want to ask you this morning. Are you surrendering to the work of God in your life? Do you seek him? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to minister in you and through you? Do you keep your heart and your mind focused on the things of God and not on all the things that distract us? Do you seek to be a disciple of Jesus? I got to tell you, I remember when I made that decision as a teenager, I have never in a moment in my life Never, never have I regretted that decision. I love being a disciple of Jesus. I love that God is transforming me. I love that I am not the same guy I was when I was 20 or 16 or 36 or now that I'm 40. I'm glad. <laughs> I guess I already blew that when I said that I was, yeah. Okay, forget it. I was hoping that you couldn't notice from the lights. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The ministry of Jesus continues with the spreading of the good news of Jesus, the gospel. What is the good news? Jesus loves us. He loves people. He wants them to come into relationship with God through faith in him. He wants them to spend an eternity with him. He wants them to know that they are forgiven everything. He wants them to know that they can live a life where he is in their lives. So as Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That's what happens when we yield and surrender to the work of God in our lives. With the spreading of the gospel and persecution. As we read on in the story, the church grows Peter stands up, this Peter who had been so afraid, and he preaches to a large audience in public. They arrest him. These, they, they, are, they are persecuted for their faith, and they keep going. Peter tells him, you let me go, I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. The same Peter who was afraid just a few weeks before. The same Peter. And when he preaches his first sermon, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, get this, 3,000 people believe. 3,000 people that day said, I believe in the name of Jesus. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is now, the Spirit of Jesus is now just not in Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus is in all of us. And now he's empowering our work. So that as we carry out our work, all of us, we see fruit in ways that is, are unimaginable back at the time that the disciples walked on the earth with Jesus. It's amazing. 
But listen to what happens. Stephen is a follower of Jesus. He's a very mature believer. He had been identified by the, uh, by the apostles as a leader. And so he became one of, the first, one of the first deacons in the church. Stephen was not quiet about being a witness for Jesus. He was proclaiming Jesus, and the people didn't want to hear it. Now, friends, here's the reality. Jesus said, as I have been persecuted, so will you be persecuted. Because the darkness does not like the light. When we live for Jesus, we will experience persecution in the world. And that's what we see in the first century as we read through the book of Acts. So what happens? As Stephen is preaching, the Holy Spirit is convicting hearts. Some grow soft to the Spirit of God and receive Jesus, but many others grow angry. They pick up stones and they begin to throw them at Stephen. Until Stephen, in his final breath, says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Just as Jesus had said. Wow, what a heart. These people are killing me. They're throwing rocks and stones at me. They're killing me. Father, forgive them. That's the spirit of God. So what happens? We see in verse, chapter 8, verse 1, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the, the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, Jesus had said what? You will be my what? Witnesses, right? In where? Where would they be his witnesses? Where? Jerusalem and where? Samaria, Judea to the ends of the earth. Now, how is God bringing the gospel into Judea and Samaria? Through the persecution of the church. Christians are being persecuted, and what happens is they're being driven out, out of Jerusalem, into Samaria and Judea, where they continue to bear witness to Jesus, and now the gospel is spreading like a bonfire, out of control, spreading now, just as Jesus had called them to do it. Friends, we will be persecuted. I want you to hear this. This is, this is extraordinary. Hear this. Right now, today... 340 million Christians, which is one out of every eight Christians in the world, 340 million Christians, did I say million? Yes, are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution. Many whose lives are being threatened. Many who have lost their families. Many who have lost their jobs. Because they refuse to say no to Jesus and, what, and being a witness for Jesus in the place that they live. One out of every eight Christians in the world. 75%, three quarters of all religiously motivated violence and oppression in the world is suffered by Christians. Not by Muslims, not by what you're hearing in media. Three quarters of all people in the world who are being religiously persecuted are Christians, by sheer number, are Christians living in the world. The number of Christians murdered, killed for their faith in, in the year 2020, from, 19, uh, from 2019 to 2020, rose 60%. 
Now, we live in America where we live very safe. The persecution we face is maybe somebody's not going to invite us to their party. Or maybe somebody is going to um, defriend us on Instagram. Did I say that right? Unfriend. I knew I said that wrong. What is it? I follow. Thank you. Now I'm hip. Now I'm doing it. Now I'm doing it. Hold on, everybody. I'm getting really cool. But as you know, it doesn't last very long. But listen to this. But the gospel cannot be stopped. It continues to spread. Christians have been consistently persecuted in China. And yet there are more than 60 million Christians in China today. All that persecution and the church just keeps growing. We don't understand persecution in America because we've not experienced it. And the persecution that we face, as I mentioned, is people not liking us. Or pushing us away out of their lives. When we bear witness to Christ. Or we live the life that God has called all of us to live. And when we are light in the world, the darkness will push back. And yet the gospel continues to grow. The church continues to grow. Even in those places where they are most persecuted. We have, many of you know, a Mandarin speaking church meeting, uh, congregation. They're part of our church. Pastor Charlie Wang is the pastor. He's amazing. And many of them are people who, from China, here for a short season. Some who are communists, coming to Jesus, going back to China to be a faithful witness to Christ. I'm staggered by that, are you? It just amazes me, the boldness and the courage. And listen to this. Since the 1979 revolution, some of you remember that, Christians in Iran have been persecuted, right? And yet Iran has the largest number of believers to embrace the Christian faith from across the Islamic world. Iran. Christian Muslims are coming to Christ more rapidly in the nation of Iran than in any other Muslim nation. Jesus Christ will not be stopped. The gospel will not be stopped. The church is the hope of the world and the church continues to bear witness to Jesus in the world. That is what we see in the book of Acts. That is what we have seen for 2,000 years. And that is what we see today. Here's the next thing I want you to see. The ministry of Jesus continues to all people and all nations of the world. And I won't say a lot about this. You read, hopefully you read about it. But the Jews always believed that God was just there for the Jews. That he was just God of Israel. But what they didn't understand was that God had chosen them as a nation through Abraham had chosen them to be a witness to God to the world. To be an example to the world of who God really is. That was their purpose. But what happened was they just kind of held God for themselves. He's our God. 
He's, he's, he's my God. And they kept him for themselves. And they didn't like other nations because of all their gods. And they didn't really, they weren't really excited to go and preach to people who weren't Jews. So what happens? God calls Peter, who was a very faithful, who had been a very faithful Jew, and he didn't see himself preaching to non-Jews. And God called him to go to a Gentile, which is a non-Jew, a Gentile named Cornelius. Cornelius was ready to receive Jesus. The Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius, and he baptized him. And this became a big issue in the early church. What do we, what do, we do about this? And the Apostle Paul and others said, we bring the gospel, and we bear witness to all people, all nations, all tribes, all races, all ethnicities, all people in the world, right? Now, here's the problem. We do often what the Jews did at the time of Peter. When I was in Grand Rapids in the Christian Reformed Church, um, something that I saw that was very concerning to me, and I spoke a lot about this when I was in that area, and that is that we have a tendency to want to seclude ourselves. And so what we, I saw there when we moved there was you had a softball league in the city and then a softball league just for Christians. We had a soft, we had a little league for all of the city and a little league just for Christians. More specifically, Christian Reformed Church Christians. What they were doing is they were absolutely secluding themselves, isolating themselves. Friends, how can you be a witness if you have no relationships? How can you be a witness if you're not engaging people who aren't believers? How can we be a witness if we're isolating ourselves? And I heard stories of people who said when they were growing up, they weren't allowed because they weren't a church family. They weren't allowed to play with Christians. The Christian family wouldn't allow, the parents wouldn't allow these non-Christian kids to play with their kids. How can you be a witness for Jesus? Friends, our task is to bring the good news of Jesus to the world. We cannot do that if we completely isolate ourselves. We need to build relationships in our neighborhoods because Jesus loves your neighbors. No matter what their language, no matter what their religion, he loves them and he wants them to come into relationship with him. So we bear witness to Jesus in our neighborhoods. And we build relationships with people because we love them, because God loves them. And we stand with them, and we be a witness for Christ. Friends, that takes great courage, and it's not easy to do. And I'll close with this. To entrust the gospel to the most unlikely people. This is what God does. He picks the most unlikely people, and he uses them. And, and I don't completely understand why. I don't understand why, because there are people a lot more talented than me who God didn't call to be a pastor, who are more eloquent than I. And did God did not call to be a pastor, who are smarter than me, who God did not call to be a pastor. But that's what God does. 
So what does he do? You heard the, the story of Saul. We'll pick up on this. But Saul was a man who hated Christians, and he was, he was persecuting Christians. And one day on, his ro on the road to a, a, a city called Damascus, he was going there, and what he was going to do was to arrest Christians. And while he was on his way, a light shined from heaven, and Jesus himself spoke to Saul and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Paul, he would become the Apostle Paul. His, he went blind. And for a while, he lived there in Damascus, and, and he wasn't completely sure what was going on. And, and Ananias, who I think is a, a hero, I mean, I, Saul, you don't want Saul as a Christian. You don't want him to know who you are if you're a Christian. But he goes to, the, goes to where Saul is, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, given by God, sight is restored to Paul. Paul is a hater, was a hater of Christians. Paul was an enemy of the gospel, and yet Paul becomes the great leader of the Christian church. Friends, God chooses the most unlikely people. I remember when I was in youth group, as I was, um, we were going to church now, and I remember um, that everybody wanted my brother to be a leader. He was the one on all the leadership teams. I was the goofy younger brother. Who would have ever thought that God would call me to be a pastor? I didn't. You've often heard me say that um, I think God called me to be a pastor so that people say, well, if he can do it, anybody can do it. So if you're a young person here today, here's what I want to say to you. God can do anything. God can do anything. He can change the direction of your life. He can make you a leader in his church. It's not about how smart you are. It's not about how charismatic you are. It's about how willing you are to follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, he will do in you and through you what only he can do. He can change the world through you. I think that's pretty cool. I want to close with this story this morning. It's a great story. It's in Christianity today. It's by a guy named David Nasser. David was, grew up in Iran. When he was nine years old, uh, the Shah of Iran was de deposed. And that's when the Great Revolution happened in 1979. And uh, Muslim uh, zealots took control of the nation. David's father had been in the armed services for the Shah. And about two weeks after the whole rebellion began, at his school, all the students were, were brought out into a field. And the names of three students were read aloud, one being David's name. And a man read from the Quran, pulled out his gun, and was going to kill all three students. The principal stepped in and stepped in between. And David's life was spared, but it was very clear they could not stay. And as a family, they ended up uh, making it to the United States. David was uh, in, a, in a great family, and 
one day he was invited by friends to go to church. And he asked, he said, I can't go unless I have permission from my parents. So he went to his mom and his dad, and he was shocked that they said at that, yes, you may go to this church. And it was shocking to him because it didn't make sense. His parents were very committed Muslims. And so what happened was, what he didn't know was that just a few weeks before, a bunch of people from that same church had gone to the restaurant that his father owned. And as they were eating, they realized that, that this restaurant lacked enough workers. So these people, these Christians, got up and started volunteering. Some started bussing tables. Some started waiting on tables. And they came back for the next couple of weeks until David's father was able to hire more people. And they kept this restaurant afloat. Now, David didn't know this. So David goes to the church, and it was a youth rally. And at that youth rally, he's convicted about Jesus, but he feels really guilty about this and angry. And so what he does is he, he comes home, and he's given him a Bible, and he got some, um, some kerosene, and he poured it on the Bible, and he was going to burn it. And he went to find a match, could not find a match anywhere. And after a while, he just grew curious, and he began to read. And he, wrote, he began reading in the Gospels, and he read the story of, of Peter walking on water where Jesus called out to Peter and said, Peter, come. And Peter stepped out of the boat. Boy, is that bold. Stepped out of the boat, begins walking on the water. And in that moment, he knew that God was calling him to step out of the security of his life and to live for Jesus. He fell on his knees and he gave his life fully to Christ. He was baptized, and when his father heard, his father disowned him. He said, you are no longer my child. You are no longer my son. And he put a bag together with David's clothes, and he threw it outside, and he said, I don't want to ever see you again. As the weeks went on, David found a family that brought him in, and David began to grow in his faith. And he grew, and he grew, and he grew, and and not, much, and, and not too long after, his sister came to faith in Jesus because he was a witness to his sister. And then it, it was his mother who came to believe in Jesus. And then it was his brother who came to believe in Jesus. And the whole family began praying for dad until dad gave his life to Christ. Friends, God wants to use you and me to change the world one life at a time. But we need to allow the Spirit of God to lead us and to drive us as we choose to be witnesses regardless of the cost, regardless of the price. I've pray, paid a price. My family has paid a price to do what we do. But the price pales in comparison to the joy of seeing God do what only he can do in our lives and through our lives for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of the gospel. Lord, I just, man, my heart just beats fast when I read this. And I just am reminded so much more that you want to do, Lord. God, may we hear you as a church and may we see and understand that we are your plan to change the world. 
We are the hope of the world as we allow you to work through us. You've already said we are the body of Christ, the arms and the legs and the mouth. That you are the head of the church, leading and guiding and directing and empowering as we allow. God, change Chino. Change the greater Chino area. Change California. Change America. Change the world through the church of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we get to be part of that great number of churches throughout the world today who are worshiping you. We're just one little piece, one little piece of this incredible family. But we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.